Welcome to Mindful Enneagram, everybody. I'm your host, Steve Van Cleek, and this episode's a little bit different. So I get questions a lot online and in classes and in coaching around what two Enneagram types work best together or what two Enneagram types are horrible together and are destined for failure and pain and tragedy. And that question, I always answer it the same way. That's not how this works. Unhealthy people are hard to be in relationship with and healthy people are great to be in relationship with. So I wanted to put together a conversation with my wife, Sarah, who is a two wing three and talk about our relationship. We're on opposite poles, the head and the heart. She's in the center of intelligence around emotion. I'm in the center of intelligence around analysis and security through data. And I wanted to just get real with the audience, with people that are wondering how do they, how can this work, and using our own relationship as an example of how very different people can help each other grow in really profound ways. As a matter of fact, it's the best way to be is to be challenged and to be stretched. If you look at the Enneagram with just the, the centers of intelligence in view, you've got the head and you've got the gut and you've got the heart. All of us are over-identified with one of those. That's just how we emerge with egos. The Enneagram is calling us at the highest level into all the rest of us. So for me, I'm being stretched and called into my heart and into my gut to have instinct and emotion and my analysis all working together in tandem with equal sharing of resources. And I'll be honest, I'm not there yet. We talk about that in this conversation. So. I think this will be useful, and it's not a direct answer, it's sort of an answer through story, but I think there's a lot inside of this. So without further ado, here is The Head and the Heart. Hey. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Round two. (laughs) (laughs) We had some technical difficulties with the first one, so we're doing the second here. Yeah, let's let's just jump into it. So we're doing the head and the heart, as you'll know if you listen to the intro. And we're going to walk through our relationship and help the people understand what it looks like for two opposites and two different centers of intelligence to do life together. And we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're just Mm going to give them the raw, the real. So... Let's let's start it at um, dating, like where we started out, and give your perspective and your two-ness, and then I'll give mine, and we'll kind of paint this picture from there. Sure. Um, do you want me to go first? Yeah, definitely. So um, I am a two-wing three, and um, I'm Steve's wife now, finally. <laughs> um, when I was probably four is the youngest time I've ever had a memory where I remember just feeling like I'm gonna be a mom someday and I'm gonna have four kids. Like I have always just loved um, carrying my baby dolls around, changing them, giving them a bottle, dressing them up and just being that little mother figure. Um, And my plan was I was gonna get married at 20, have my kids at 22, 24, 26 and 28 um, and live happily ever after like all of the Disney princesses that I grew up idolizing because how old were you when you start thinking about like marriage and all I mean I remember being four but uh, and again I would say I don't know how much I would say probably 95% is the fact that that's just who I am I also have a sister who's 12 years older than me and so as I was growing up she was dating and you know yeah I was annoying to her because I'd be like, oh, you're going to kiss that boy. And, you know. It's just very two already. It you is. You can, like, see the, the two, like, the highly relational emphasis right. in that boy. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I met Steve. Um, I was in college my freshman year. I'd been there maybe a month before we met and connected. Um, our relationship started off really well. Like, we had a lot of fun. Steve was super cool back then and um yeah like he was just a lot of fun I went to college for the fact that in my mind I was just going for my MRS degree I just want to interject real quick because you said I was really fun which blows the lid off the typical type 5 stereotype 
Right. Well, now you're a dad and you're a husband, and so you're more serious. So there's some, like, just... You can't, I can't be more serious. It's more than one thing, right? You we're all about blowing serious. up stereotypes. And we were... Stereotypes here at Mind Millenniagram. We had less responsibilities, which allowed you to it's be true. more free. It's true. So, um, yeah, Steve was a lot of fun, and we hung out almost daily for a long time. And we kind of had this joke about eye sex because we just really connected when we would look into each other's eyes like I felt the butterflies that's right and I would just melt inside and I was just like oh my gosh like I'd never felt that way with anyone before you know it's like a like a trendy thing now eye gazing oh like people go to retreats and eye gaze with strangers that's creepy. we were doing it before it was cool yeah well no I did it because it was a way to connect with you yeah, because that's why people do it yeah you know yeah that's awesome. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of fun in college. Super and... normal college relationship, just eye-gazing. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah, I wooed him because... And we actually talked about this the other day because we were at the beach and it was very choppy and there were people trying to surf. And I remember trying to impress him within the first couple minutes that we met. And I tried to tell him because I had spent seven weeks in California leading up to my freshman year of college in Indiana, I was like, yeah, like I'm a surfer because I knew he couldn't force me to prove it in Indiana. And he was like, what, really? And I was kind of like, oh. I was excited. Yeah. And I was like, crap. No, I'm not that cool either. He lied to me in like the first hour. <laughs> it was just the beginning. should have ran. should have known. Nope, I lasted you in that night. <laughs> Too bad. That was, yeah, that's true. So we're now knowing the Enneagram a little better, looking back, are there, um, were there like type five traits that you could identify or is it more, is it not that clear? With you, um, it was really interesting because uh, we went to a really small conservative Christian college and um, I was already at college and I didn't want to be. My parents were not really wanting me not to go and they kind of really forced me to do it. And um, it was just something that I really people pleased my way into. Um, so I was trying to make the most of it, even though deep down, like my body and my spirit, like were suffering. Um, so I tried to make the most of it. And when I met you, um, it was funny because I thought that my way out was just to rush it and get married because I was like, gosh, like 20 isn't that far away. Like I'm already 18 and a half, you know? Um, and it was hard because I could see that you were really just taking things slowly and really wanting to see the angles and you wanted to meet the families and just really see how our lives were going to mingle. Um, yeah, I wasn't in a rush at all. You were much more in a rush. I was super in a rush. Why was that? Why were you in a rush? Um, well, it's just that whole like idea of Prince Charming is gonna sweep me off my feet. And um, well, I mean, also growing up in a Christian home, like you wanted to have a lot of sex. And you know, there's <laughs> no, a lot of shame if you Russian, if you don't do it the right way. Right. So um, yeah, I was really blown away by you. And um, I'm pretty impressive. I just wanted to hang out with you all the time. And our, we had we couldn't even go to each other like dorm rooms legally, except for like a Saturday a month. Right. And the dorms had to be like there was just oh, there wasn't any privacy to be an adult and make real adult decisions. So I just kind of wanted to let go of authority and just be who I wanted yeah, to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. and express what I wanted to in the ways I wanted to. You're good. Yeah, from my perspective, I think a huge thing was the, we had, we had this like, we still have this great like magnetism like this and we, we play off of each other. It's like, I guess it's like charisma, like mutual charisma where we can like goof with each other or like even like nitpick each other, like know something annoys the person, but we, we'll, we know that the other one will still think it's funny. Usually, if like you can read them, sometimes not, but but we know how to play that, like how to read each other and play that. And we did that the first time we interacted, like not knowing each other at all. It was really the, there was this 
What were we doing? It was uh, someone they were guessing your last name. Do you remember this? Yes. We were in a, the coffee shop on campus, and two of my friends were there that already knew Sarah, and they were trying to guess her her last name, her maiden last name, and like the the clue was it was a candy bar, and her last name was Henry. And so it's like an O Henry bar, but it's like not really a candy bar. And so I, I, I dropped her name in the thing saying, you know, in the response and ruined the whole thing basically. And she stormed off. She like, she was mad that I dropped that her last name was Henry. And so I wrote her an apology letter and addressed it to her table in the cafeteria and um, sent it over there. She was there with another guy and then she came over. Just as friends. She came over. To, well, I think she wanted it to be more than friends. And uh, she came over to my table and she thought it was like really clever. And then we just talked for a long time. Again, the walk back to your dorm room was when you lied to me about being able to surf. Um, so there was something about that immediately for me that we could, we could have that kind of like banter and be that playful out the day. And that was the foundation for our relationship. I right. really liked hanging out with this girl and you, you drew out like a playfulness in me that maybe isn't always there or most people don't pull on me. So um, I would say that was definitely like the magnetizing factor. And from there, it was just, I just want to keep hanging out with this girl. It was very practical for me, very pragmatic. And I think that's why to you, it felt like I was going too slow. Cause for me, it was just like a day at a time. I was like, yeah, let's, I want to hang out with Henry, you know, let's go. Go to Applebee's, let's go hang out by the lake, let's go, whatever. So I definitely see the Richard Rohr has a uh, an Enneagram course called Discernment of Spirits. And in it, he talks, when he gets to the type five, he talks about the type two and the type five being a really common pairing. And he does marriage counseling with the Enneagram. And there, it's, he's, he calls it a classic opposites attract situation. And what I just described between Sarah and I early on is almost exactly what he described. Early on, it's very novel. You've got this like really stable, kind of high-headed person that can have a lot of wit and kind of charm too. And then you've got this like bubbly, extroverted helper personality. And there's something about that that kind of magnetized to each other. But then there's the, you know, do you make it past year three? Do you make it past year five? Like, and. And he saw a lot of those relationships not last beyond those points because, and we'll get to this in our own, with our own flavor added to it, but there's this sense of the two wondering when the five is going to like step out of the office, get out of the study, put the book down and actually come out and do something. And the five is wondering when the two is gonna leave them alone and let them study and read in peace and collect their data uninterrupted and um, obviously those are places that the types start but the Enneagram calls us into more calls us into more expansion than that so if you only stay there it can be bad it can be I mean it's just mounting friction right and bouncing off of each other so um, let's you anything else from the dating side the dating thing you want to plug before we move on to like the next phase no I think that's good okay um, what about married life, like newlyweds? So married life was interesting. So um, again, I people pleased my way, went to college, even though I didn't really want to. Um, dated Steve the first month that I was a freshman. Um, it wasn't too, I think it was like our second or third date that um, I really started to notice that I was um, suffering from some health issues. And it just kind of snowballed throughout our relationship, especially in the beginning. Um, it got intense and it was frequent. So by the time we were already married, I'd had my gallbladder removed. I had a laparoscopy done. Um, you know, my rap sheet of medical tests that I had to go through were stacking up. Yeah. Um, I had um, decided that finding a way to live off campus um, my junior year, the year before we got married, um, was going to be financially more responsible. So I got a job doing debt collection and medical billing and rented a house with a bunch of girls. And so, um, I had done that for like two or three years. Steve and I were newly married. I was still dealing with all these health issues. 
And I finally was just like, you know what, can I just not work? Like the work was draining on my soul. I didn't want to talk to people during, you know, the 2008 recession, you know, people are suffering financially and here I'm calling them and I'm getting talked terribly to because of the fact of where it just worked, not because of who I was, but I took that personally. And um, yeah, so the first few months of our, the first year of our marriage was really difficult because I basically spent my time alone in bed watching Netflix when I wasn't in the bathroom crying because I was in so much pain. And Steve was working full time with juvenile delinquents that have gone through a lot of uh, sexual abuse and other kinds of traumas. And he would come home feeling really heavy and we just weren't connecting very well. Yeah, we were both trained like for different reasons. Right, and so he would want to, you know, play video games or watch a show and like unwind his brain and his heart from what he's experienced throughout the day. And I had been home alone without a vehicle and everything and um, wanting human interaction. And so there was that, you could quickly see, like looking back, I was needy and he wanted to withdraw just because of the life situation we were yep. in. And that's the 5G dynamic that starts to create friction. Like you just named it, it just, we put some clothes on it. Right. <laughs> put it into our life, yeah. Yeah, so that, I would say like the first year of our marriage especially was really, really hard and probably the one, if I look back, like I hate it, I regret it, and I wish we didn't have to live through that one. Um, I mean, it was a foundation that was important to us, even if it was difficult. Yeah. I mean, we have harder times coming up in the story. <laughs> so I guess. All of them brought us to where we are. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just like a really interesting time um, early on. That was our marriage. Um, yeah. Where do you want to go from there? Well, I, yeah, and from my perspective, you're right. I'd forgotten about working at a lifeline and how, how draining that was. I remember specifically, I love that job. I was a... a uh, assistant program coordinator for a group of, we call them sexually maladaptive youth. And so I really got to do some cool work developing custom programs for some kids that had like lower IQs and being an advocate for sometimes parents, sometimes kids working with case managers and uh, case workers and POs. And um, it took a lot out of me. You know, to, you're working with the worst 1% of the population or the most traumatized, worst, so it sounds kind of callous and dark, it's like the, the most traumatized, you know, and dark stories you can, you can think of with these kids that get placed. And I remember thinking, I have to get out of this line of work before I have my young kids, or it's gonna, I'm gonna have an unhealthy level of protection. I'm, like, this isn't how the world actually is at writ large, this is like the edge cases but it becomes your whole world, your whole field of view. And that did impact me like psycho-spiritually big time. Like I do remember just feeling drained. I remember us having this conversation back then mm-hmm. saying, yeah, like this is, this is heavy work. And, um, and your health stuff, I guess at that point for me, it had settled in um, that you had a lot of health stuff, but that was like, I didn't know what, what I could do. That was the first real sense of like, helplessness that I had as a competency type that wants to solve problems and like fix things and you being the most important person in my life, that was really difficult to sit in and surrender, you know, to, to that. There's only one other, oh, maybe there's like two other scenarios that we'll talk, get to inside of this conversation where I had that same measure of surrender where I couldn't solve it myself. And it was a really important piece looking back it was miserable in the situation. It was a really important piece to my development to realize that more data wasn't going to make Sarah better. And it's interesting, too, because I was 21 when we got married, and Steve was 24. And then he turned 25 that fall, just a few months after we were married. So we weren't, like, we didn't really know who we were. True. You know? We were figuring it out together. Right. Yeah. And I had turned 22, and... um you know, we were living our lives in this weird space. And then we had a surprise pregnancy through all the weird health stuff going on. And that, um, that forced me to get off the medications. Like I was on morphine pills and all kinds of, you know, pain pills for all the stuff that I've been going through. And it just forced me 
yeah. to kind of decide what I wanted. And um, Steve would take care of me. He he would figure out, you know, what I was craving and support me and bring it home. And he would start buying bulk foods and then it would get moldy because, you know, <laughs> you think you want seven yeah, yeah. gallons of strawberries, but... I learned I couldn't plan ahead yeah. for, for pregnancy cravings. I thought I could plot and scheme it and like be a super husband and she craved like pickles. And then so I got- Next you know, day it's done. Industrial sized pickles. And then it's like, I can't even smell those. Take them outside. I well, wouldn't vomit. <laughs> and it was cute because you did. You tried to support me as best. We got pregnant in the middle of winter and sweet Steve was making his coffee outside because I don't drink coffee. <laughs> it's, right. it's gross to me. And then here he, in the middle of winter, I'm suffering with this mass amount of morning sickness. and vomiting and he's making his coffee out in negative 20 million degrees yeah. in Indiana. And, and, and that that's an interesting one because I remember going through a period where I the the demanding of energy is like a big deal to the type five. And you being pregnant and needing things arranged around you was like a big challenge to that egoic kind of like, well, what about what I want, what if I want to make coffee inside, what if, you know, um, it was another kind of egoic surrender that, no, no, Sarah's just going to trump the things that I need right now. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to do this. When I finally just did it, it was like a really, it was an important growth thing for me hmm. to decide. See, I wouldn't even thought yeah. that you would ever think that you weren't going to do that. No, I don't think it was ever, I'm not going to, it was about what's the attitude. Sure. How am I going to step into what energy am I going to hold while I'm rearranging wow. things for Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. And there was a period where early on I didn't get it. Sure. And this was specific, specifically with Owen, our oldest. After that, I, I figured it out, right? Like as, as sensitive and finicky as the type five energy can be, we'd learn things quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we catch on. Well, yeah. it was sweet too, because after we got through that halfway part of the relationship and I was starting, or the pregnancy and I was starting to feel better, Steve surprised me and for Valentine's Day, um, shipped me down to Florida to spend a couple days with his parents and get some sunshine and just be able to relax for a little bit since I had been so sick and dealing with so much. And that was so huge for me because I adore his parents and we got along so well and it was just something to look forward to. Um, yeah, you know, a little idea. sunshine and it was just again like that stereotypical, like that romantic gesture putting me on that little pedestal and just thinking of me and taking that extra step to do something about it was just really sweet and still like when I see the pictures and the memories like I think very fondly of that time. I'd Not so much I'd the forgotten. trip, but the thought that he even thought to do that. Yeah, I forgot we did that. That was good. That was, yeah. And then too, we had, then we had Owen in August and, um, you know, he was a nine pound baby coming out of a tiny, tiny woman. And I didn't do very well. Like I tore pretty bad and Steve took really good care. And um, I think it was the first night we were back from the hospital and you rubbed my feet while I yeah. nursed and you're feeling all the new mom feels and the body issues that come with the pain of your body adapting to this new thing. And I remember that night when Steve gave me a massage and I knew that there weren't going to be expectations in how much I enjoyed that massage more than any I've ever gotten yeah. in our relationship because I knew he was just there to serve me. And it was like a, hey, I'm really sorry you're going through all this pain yeah. right now and I'm here for you. And- Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to like the- because there's already for back. Right, and there's already this latent type to like, I have to serve others. So to have this really obvious, like this obvious structure that I'm just doing this for you and there's nothing to get back. Like you can't, you're not allowed to and your body's not gonna allow you to anyway, right? Um, yeah, we should do that more often. I should make sure we, I'm creating that structure more often too. Oh, I'll let you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it would be very nice. <laughs> um, I will say this from my, from, from the type five, the, the observer energy, that watching you give birth was really transformative for me. Because especially with that sexual instinctual variant where I'm 
where I really want to soak everything in. With you as like my my woman, like for sure, that's like a big piece of the, that sexual dominant instinctual variant. If you go deep with with one person, or I would say you go deep with reality, but it, it's often mediated through the real, a one relationship that you learn a lot about reality through. But the you giving birth was another huge flood of not just information but like experiences which is just as important for the sexual five is these new fresh experiences obviously having watching a child be born from the woman you love and then having your son like all of that was so was incredibly transformative because i can't just let a thing be topical right it's always like all of the parts that are involved in this and the complexity of life and like the beauty, even like the beauty of the medical system that can hold this together in a way that isn't scary, it's safe. And you know, my, your mind, the type five mind spirals around this whole thing. And from this angle, this is like a miracle that we get to do this, that the body can do this. And I remember that being like a, it was a spiritual experience for sure. Um, and that, that, I think that maybe is a side of the type five that people, the stereotype doesn't capture very well. Sure. The, they call it the five penetrates reality deeply. And, and a piece of that, for me, a big piece of it is new on wonder being discovered through the, the different scenarios that I'm put in. And that was one of the most awe-inspiring and awesome mm. moments of my life for sure. Yeah, you were definitely nerding out every time I had contractions. Yes. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, I do. Now that you say that, I forgot about yeah, that. And yeah, and then he would sit there and eat food in front of me, and I kicked him out one time. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you can't eat. You're in labor. Yeah. So, okay. So that's that's up through Owen. I feel like I'll frame up the next one, because the next era is the other two, our other two kids. The next, Liam is our middle, and then Declan is the youngest. And... Owen was a different thing for me because he was the first and the only one for a while, for a few years. And once Liam came along, there was like, I started getting more and more locked into my career. I got into my, uh, my field of study in college and got, I was kind of hyper-focused, maybe myopically focused on career progression. And I played the classic, I say it's a male game. I know there's plenty of career-oriented women that do this too, but it's kind of been a male stereotype that, well, I'm providing the financial container for the family, so I'm doing my part. Trap, right? So I'm hyper-focusing on work, I'm getting promoted, I'm acquiring cert certifications and plotting and scheming my career successfully. And so this, is, this can be a really difficult trap to notice in the first place is when all of your anxious thoughts and plotting and scheming get you to the thing that you think you want. And really it takes that thing that you think you want, getting it and realizing, oh, this doesn't really feel that different. And enough of those rotations, if you're paying attention to notice that you're putting your energy in a place that isn't giving you anything back. And I was in that cycle in that point. And it became really obvious with Liam, I think that how withdrawn I was. And it was like going from really spending a lot of time with the boys to it was like a special event when dad wanted to wrestle with them. And I, don't, I didn't notice it in the moment. But looking back, I could kind of see how that was forming. And Well, that also, so I had, when Owen was one, I took a full-time position and one of my girlfriends from college who I really adored and she lived two apartments down from us, she watched Owen so I could have my quote unquote dream job. And I worked with um, orthopedic sales reps and I coordinated all of their special events to do trainings and I watched their exams they had to take um, to get them in the you know surgeries with these doctors. And um, it was hard for me to go from a place where like I was needed and my position was valued and if I wasn't there, right. things would could potentially fall apart really quickly or it would just gain so much um, work for everybody else on my team. So you were needed. Yeah, I yeah. was needed. And it was fun because you worked with a bunch of young guys and, you know, there was banter and I was just like, you know, when Steve got to the come The drama to, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. just fun. And we, you know, would hang out and do late nights and, um, it was just, it was a fun time for me. Um, 
And then when we got pregnant with Liam, Steve really got into Bitcoin <laughs> and um, loved his ideas around it. But also when we weren't working, it was like he was invested in Bitcoin. Yeah, those obsessions, the type five like latches on. And, and it was obsessed. tech. And yeah. so I kept trying to write it off, but internally I was becoming resentful of the fact of the type five stuff that I didn't know about at that point, but I was feeling it, seeing it, and. Yeah, well you don't have to know anything about the type five to see that there's all this energy being spent. On all this data and collecting data and learning new things and, and it's not you, it's, but it's not with you, it's not building connection with you. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we had Liam and Steve was traveling a lot and I, it was like, Steve coming and going wasn't any different to me because it wasn't that, it wasn't much change except I just kept swallowing my voice and not sharing and communicating and expressing how exhausted I was because right. Liam was up every hour to two hours to nurse and we moved into a house that had to be painted and decorated and I wanted to be this wham glam you know space for us to host people and impress people and made it homey for us so and I would say my coming and going wasn't just like I was crashing into the routine too right because you had sure. things structured and set up and I would come back and like you know try to get involved and get engaged but like we like we're out of sync you know we were out of sync because of the lack of investment and in connecting with each other at this phase um, and it, but it showed up in lots of ways that you, you wouldn't intuit right away, right. like not being able to get in sync on a schedule wise, or there's all these ways, and we will talk about this towards the end. There's all these ways that Sarah and I have learned in structuring the family of bringing more awareness to things, how you set up the environment, how rooms are set up, how it feels, like even diffusing certain smells, putting certain music on. And now we're so much more thoughtful around how we co-create spaces together. I mean, we're not perfect at it, but it's on our radar, at least now, whereas then it was like two bodies just bouncing off each other and getting in each other's way. And yeah, I mean, we were we were young, we had a young family, but it was- And we I were looked, some of the yeah. youngest couples in our friend group to have kids. And so we didn't have anyone that we could really turn to, ask questions to, or see other patterns of what people were going through. And it, well, I ended up, I remember saying, one night to Steve, like, no, that's not how we do it anymore. Like, that's how we yes, did it before you right. left on your last trip, but that's not working for the boys anymore. So we have to switch it because yep. otherwise then this is, and this is the consequence. And that makes my life harder. And it would be better if you almost didn't come home if you're gonna make my life harder because it's already hard and you're gonna undo what I need done. And that was a really interesting, because I think that was the first time I probably ever really vocalized yeah. It was a I frustration. Remember. And it hit me out of the blue, like to say that I recognized the clashing, but it was obvious that there was, this was something you'd felt for a while, but hadn't vocalized. And that's, again, the, you know, the two, the lack of self-care and it stems into a lack of boundary setting, which is really a lack of communicating what you need. And that became apparent to me because it kind of went zero to 60 from my perspective inside of this whole era. Um, yeah. You want to talk about what 60 looked like? Yeah. So, um, you know, Steve's traveling a lot and I, my health just got really, really bad at that point. And um, finally um, sought out a functional medicine doctor and it was really hard for me because part of me knew that the way I was feeling was not good and I couldn't even care for my kids anymore. And we didn't have any family. I could just pawn the kids off so I could just be so sick. Um, and Steve's traveling a lot. So I had to decide, do I want to spend thousands of dollars out of pocket, which is really hard to think about, even if it might mean I get better. Like, to spend money on myself is a is a huge yeah. issue to have that value of myself even if it's for a good cause to spend an excruciating amount of money is difficult um would you say that was like growth kind of path for you when you realize like hey I yeah, am worth this and I 
tried to justify it in so many ways instead of just looking and saying you're valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, like your kids are going to starve if you don't feed them, so you have to spend. Oh, so you still wouldn't let it be yours. Right. Yeah, interesting. And so when I was feeling better and all of a sudden I had this energy back and I was able to, you know, really be hands-on with the boys again and we weren't just watching shows and me just sitting in the bathroom and figuring out food and yeah. just random weird stuff they had to do to survive that time, um, I pushed myself into a physical growth. So I had eye surgery in high school and it really creeped me out to think anything eyes. I went from having con- or glasses to contacts and then I got a nose piercing and I remembered that feeling really wonky, especially walking into Aldi's because I really didn't want people to judge me for all of a sudden getting right. a nose piercing. <laughs> and it's funny because- Like anybody cares. <laughs> right, but I think everyone thinks about what I'm doing in a negative way at all times. And even the nose piercer, I told him I wanted a hoop and he looked at me, he goes, well, look at you, you're in a maxi dress and your hair is all done up. Like you're clearly a girl with a stud. And <laughs> I did this stud because I'm a people pleaser and I just do what people think I should do because, you know, this random stranger speaks more into my life than my own brain at times. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, so I started to, like, come out and, like, feel good about myself. I was accepting that I was healthy and I was changing and I was finally feeling like I was a normal human and... Steve was traveling and I started to realize I could get out. Like I could get the boys to a friend or my dad would be around and I would go out by myself and start having conversations with other people and just really intimate conversations and really just realizing how lonely I was and how I didn't realize any of that. When your health is so bad, nothing else is in your awareness except for how poorly you feel and then when you finally feel good, it's like, oh crap, nothing's yeah. good. And there's, and there's, but you you get that health back, and then it opens up all this other expansiveness. Right. And the relational piece wasn't there because right. again, this is a, I was in the throes of withdrawal, and the and in a sense, the travel was just masking it. And that was a weird time because it's not like you signed up for a job that was going to be traveling. It was just like a there was a new thing happening that you had to expand worldwide. Yeah. It wasn't going to be forever and we knew that, but it was hard because like he would leave and Liam would be one way, he'd come back and Liam's crawling, he would leave and then he'd come back and Liam's already walked. Like he was missing milestones and you could physically see him missing it with Liam, but I didn't realize how much he was also missing with like connection with the rest of us. Right, and with you primarily. And I didn't know it wasn't as obvious, you know, that he was missing out on that. So um, he had been gone like two weeks and home and then gone another two weeks and then home and then gone. And um, finally, Steve was in London and I was just like, look, bro, we need to Skype. So we did. And I was like, "Um, I've got it all figured out. Um, I had been making a little bit of side money and I was like, we need to keep the house so that the boys can have stability and, um, feel like life is normal and then you can go live with this guy who lives down the street who works with you who's single I was like you could go live with him and you know I'll find a place to stay when you want to come here and live with the boys and then you go back to his house and that's I mean I had it all planned out and I was like you know I make enough money I could pay for the groceries I could pay for the utilities of the house um but I wanted our boys to always feel loved and secure even if Steve and I were in this weird adult space. Right. I think for and for me, I knew, I was in the, again, the withdrawal is, it's spatial, but it's also like a mental withdrawal. So I just wasn't giving much resource to, I wonder how Sarah's doing. I wonder if she's okay with this. And you also were asking for what you needed. So like, it was like the worst It was like the perfect storm. Well, and I wasn't sure what I needed at that time. I just, I thought this is how life was supposed to be and how life had to be for that time. So even if I said to you, hey, I don't like this, then nothing was going to change anyways. 
because yeah, but, what yeah. were you going to say to your boss? Sorry, I can't travel more. And then you're well, fired. Maybe. And then we're out on the road. But maybe that's the thing is like, you don't give an opportunity for that to be changed if you say right. nothing. And I like, look, we were, we were both in immature places. I don't know what else, right. what else to call it. And, um, I was, I remember feeling shocked that you were like, not only were you done, but you had put thought into the, how it, we will be done. And yeah, I wasn't, I didn't want to be done. And you at least committed to seeing if we could figure things out. So yeah, we went on, that was kind of my problem. So remote kicked in, but at the same time, I had this sense that there wasn't really anything I could do to convince Sarah one way or the other. I had this really like acute sense that she had to make her call around what she, where, who, where she wanted to be, and if she wanted to be with me, if she wanted to do this family together or, or figure out a different configuration for the family essentially. Um, so, so we spent a lot of time sorting things out. And I will say from, for me, well, I'll let you talk about like the decision point of like choosing what you wanted that was really important for you. For me, there was a realization that I didn't have the tools that I needed. As a matter of fact, mindful Enneagram is a direct result of this scenario because I knew that I was withdrawing. I knew that my withdrawal and lack of presence was destroying the things that I loved and cared about. And that was when I got into meditation to find presence. That was when I got, I found the Enneagram as well and realized it put language to this whole cycle and pattern that we were going through, that I was going through. I hadn't even read about or thought about Sarah's type yet. It was all my stuff. And I started letting me be the problem and be okay with that and look at myself as something that can be puzzled out and solved and be tweaked and modified. And the combination of the Enneagram and meditation was huge because I started being able to pay attention. I started being able to see oh, there's withdrawal. It looks different today than it did yesterday. Oh, here's another way I'm trying to withdraw. And as I noticed it, I got options. So like, no, I don't want to withdraw. I want to go hang out with Sarah. I want to go play with the boys. That's what I really want to do. But I couldn't see it before. I had no tool to even see it. I was just asleep. I was, it's like an Enneagram language is you're asleep. And when you're asleep, you don't get options. You just snore. Right. <laughs> you're just snoring. So... Yeah, so it was nice because we did do marriage counseling for a little bit. And I felt like that helped us a little bit understand like our family systems and kind of where we came from and how that played into our relationship up until that point. Um, but I just kind of sat there every week just kind of looking like this doesn't help me connect with Steve really any better or romantically or like, I mean, it was good. It just wasn't my thing. And then um, we had some good friends that just have some really cool modalities to just pull people into growing themselves. And I just spent an evening away and just spent that time to really dig into myself. And when you're a mom who you're caring for little kids or you've been sick or, you know, like you've, you have all these responsibilities and reasons why you don't take that time for self-care, when you finally get that moment, you have that aha and that night, I just remember like, wow, I don't want to be with Steve because I have to be based on this paper. And if we paid a couple hundred bucks, we could just nullify it. I want to be with Steve because I choose him. Like I adore him. I love him. He's my guy. Like he's seen me through my thick and my thin. Um, and that was it. And it wasn't like, because I didn't want to just do it for the kids. I wanted to do it because of me in that moment right. and what I wanted. And finally getting to vocalize and choose, really, what did I want? Um, so when I called him that night, because I was out later than I was supposed to be, I just told him, like, hey, like, sorry we're running a little bit late, but I just want you to know that, like, I'm choosing you. Yeah. That was a good call. It was a good call. Yeah. And there's something about that, around, about finding the space to turn all the noise down, to, to turn all the shoulds and the have tos, all that noise down, right? And in a sense, even see how all things could work out. Like, the world's not going to end if we got a divorce, 
right? But what do you want? What do I actually want? And I do, I feel like that happens for, well, I do coaching with people who end up in life in a place that they didn't really consciously choose. Right. You know, it's not any different than that. You need space. You need some sort of structure where you can consciously choose what you want, you know, sometimes retroactively. Cause you, and sometimes that means big changes. And sometimes it's like, oh no, I like this. I'm actually glad, I'm grateful this is where I'm at. This is good. But yeah, you've got to choose it. Yeah. Or, or there's all this, you know, embitterment that can, that can creep in. So. Yeah. So after we made that decision, it was weird. There was a weird shift in Steve too, because again, like I was that four year old who was going to get married and have my four kids. And I had that longing, deep longing to have a daughter and the connection of having a little girl to dress up and do her hair and paint her nails and kind of have some of the um, experiences I had with my mother, my grandmother. And I I wanted to pass that down and have those experiences with my own. Um, And we kind of talked about adoption. um, But, you know, Steve was just like, you know what, let's let's try for a third. And I was like, okay. So we had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was kind of fun at times. There's some of our Warsaw friends kind of rushed us. They, wait, never mind. I don't know what you're saying. I don't either. Okay. Um, But yeah, it took, I mean, it took a while for us. It was like a nine month thing to get, finally get pregnant. And during that time, I just had to trust that we could figure that out and stay connected not make our relationship a chore but that it we could you know still make it romantic and fun because having babies and <laughs> trying to like be in love is yeah like we have a chore or something right yeah, yeah, yeah and i didn't want our connection to ever become a chore yeah, for sure. so um you know i just remember one night just praying like okay if we're not supposed to have a third then whatever and I took Owen to preschool and was hanging out with Liam and I went to throw the pregnancy test away. And then, you know, after two hours later, I finally said positive and I freaked out and ran down to Steve and was like, it's finally happening. Yeah, there was something important you said in there that I want to track back to that, like the, yeah, let's try for, that was really the girl attempt, let's be honest. We got Declan, so we didn't get a girl, but. right. There was, there's something really important that happened as I got into my meditative practice where turning all the noise down in this anxious, clicking, computational machine that is my mind would, it would fill my body with so much relief that I would just cry. And it was in these, in those, like coming back to that practice and giving my mind and my body a break that my heart cracked open. I don't know how else to, what else to call it. Like I connected to my heart in a way that had been shut off for all, all of my life up to that point. And I didn't, I wasn't into the Enneagram at the level that I'm in now, but in hindsight, I can tell that I was stretched into, it was a big moment of, I was these little moments of stretching into my heart being with you, this is a big moment of stretching into my heart and acquiring some heart center sense making, even though my home base is, is the head. And that shifted a lot. I can tell you, I know what, what changed my mind and it wasn't a cognitive thing because in my mind, I'm thinking kids cost money and it's all the security stuff. And, you know, I'm running the numbers if I was moving from the head center. But I moved from the heart center because I remember distinctly, I had this memory so deeply etched in my mind. You had, you would pass little girls clothes when you're in department mm-hmm. stores and you're like, wouldn't this be cool? Wouldn't this be cool? You know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And then it started shifting over time to where I would catch you kind of longingly looking or brushing. It's like, <laughs> making me emotional now. And you weren't trying to get my attention. You were just, your heart was like really longing for at least a shot at, at a girl. And it connected to my heart. And it was one of the first things in hindsight that was like a heart driven decision. Like who cares about the finances? Like who else can give this to Sarah, at least the shot at this, you know? 
And yeah, if anyone's listening and doesn't think you can stretch into other centers of intelligence, you can. It's a real thing uh, that you can do. And it's worth all the struggle uh, to get there and all the frustration sometimes. And I, I would be remiss to say that my relationship with a super obvious externalized heart person didn't grease the wheels for that, you know, to eventually to eventually pop out as another place that I can make sense of the world from. Um, so yeah, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to track back to that real quick because I think that's a really important piece to highlight. Okay, so let's do this. Um, that doesn't quite get us up to current. I know there's more stuff that happened, but what if we wrapped up here and talked about what are we doing now? How are we, we came through all this rocky stuff, right? We're finding more presence with each other, with our children. What are we doing now? What's the challenge? How about this? What's the challenge you're dealing with right now? And what's a, what's something you're growing into? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like a huge part of this, um, what I'm going through right now is a lot of COVID, um, the COVID brain and the, the breakdown, um, you know, when the world shuts down and a super people oriented person isn't allowed to see people anymore mm -hmm. or really go out and do anything. And you're stuck in this tiny yard, this tiny house with very few people, it became very overwhelming. And, um, also being the only feminine person in the house, some of my basic female needs that I get from feeding off of other moms or getting hugs at church or friend time or whatever, it, it was gone. And um, I think that was the huge stepping stone because I started reading um, different books on healing some of the inner child wounds and um, just really, again, working through more trauma stuff from my childhood and my patterns and just doing all that because I had the time to do it. And learning some really cool stuff. Like you got me fired up around like uh, emotions being stored in the body. And the some psychosomatic. Of the, some, yeah, the somatic work. Yeah, too. I mean, all of that stuff was just so powerful. And a lot of that came from the fact that our third child got really sick and ended up in the ICU. And um, when I finally became out of that, it took a couple years to get out of that PTSD cloud of my life. I wanted to learn all that I could about it because I wanted to understand everything. Um, and it's been weird because I feel like a lot this year, especially um, just watching my growth, it's not that I feel like I have wanted to grow into who I am today at this moment. Sure. Um, I feel like I've been shoved there. Yeah. Um, I haven't really asked for it and it's been really hard because it has made me lose relationships, really good friendships. And that's been really difficult. But as I have grown into, um, I don't know how the Indian Enneagram people would say it, but like, as I move into that four energy and I'm letting go of how people are really viewing me and I'm able to vocalize my wants and my needs and setting up my boundaries and doing all this stuff, um, you know, it's been hard because it has, it has affected me. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they meet me, they just want to type me as a four because I have had a platinum blonde mohawk and I, you got a funky look. I, I do. I'm edgy. I'm an artist. And I've learned that this past <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And I started out my own furniture business. And now I have rainbow peacock hair. Right, like, right. I have neon freaking hair. Like, um, no hair on my head is normal anymore. So can you, real quick, how do you, for, for any twos listening or people that know twos and are curious around this progress, what's the shift to being able to step into yourself? Well, um, so, I mean, again, it's, it wasn't something that I was really trying to, um, go after, but, um, spending a lot of time doing these holistic healing modalities that we have 
our hands involved in meditation, stillness, grounding, walking the beach, spending time by myself, and just starting to learn empathy for people and where they've been, knowing my own traumas, knowing that other people bring their traumas, you can just start to see patterns. And um, I started looking at people differently. And when you do that, the judgments that I would say that other people have on my on me and who I am kind of just go away and it's interesting because the more I'm like trying to um like it's weird I would say six years ago had I gone to the grocery store remembering I had rainbow hair I would have felt really sheepish and thrown a hat on my head and powered my way through it with my head down I went to the mall and walked the mall for hours. I forget that I even have rainbow hair. Right. And I don't even care if people like it or not. And I just think that's part of the natural growth that comes. And I'm open and here for it. I don't want to block it. I want to surrender to it. Every day I'm intentional with using, um, right now I'm using Heist Potential Oil, Surrender, Awaken, and... So like blends, right? Yeah, they're blends. all blends. Heist Potential and Transformation. Yeah. And it's funny because sometimes I laugh and I'm like, wait, shouldn't I save these off? Like, am I really ready for what I'm putting out that right. I am ready for? And the freedom that I'm feeling because of all of that outweighs all of the hard stuff, all of the tears, all of the broken relationships I've let go or they've let go of because I've morphed into this beautiful little butterfly. Yeah. And some people aren't ready for that. And that's exactly why these these friendships have gone away. They're not ready for this huge transformation because it's scary. And it is a lot of work. And it is hard. Gosh, it is so hard. And... I will tell you, like, it is not for the faint. But if you need support, you can call me. And <laughs> I'm here for I will help you You don't through. know who's listening to this. Yeah. You're not what you're signing up for. I don't know what I'm signing up for. But it's possible. It. And just feeling the freedom and seeing your family members who you have had rough patches with or friendships and being able just to be open and honest and real and not triggered anymore or not anxious and not feeling drained anymore is huge i want to enjoy people and if i'm carrying all that baggage yeah i can't i can't be me can i uh i'm gonna be on a coaching mode for a second if you don't mind yeah i mirror back what i heard like through my filter back to you (laughs) sure so what i heard is that you went from hyper-valuing everyone else's opinion of you or what you perceived their opinion of you would be to turning the noise down on that external input and taking space to figure out what are the things that I, what am I, what is Sarah, outside of all the external influences and all the other eyes looking at me that I've known myself through. That's what I'm hearing. Is that accurate? Yeah. If I could summarize it? And it's weird because I feel like the whole dynamic has shifted because I would say that before I felt like Eeyore. Woe is me. Mm. I have all of these feelings. All of the head and gut people look at me like, oh, she's crying again. She's posting to social media how she's having a hard day and she's living through all this trauma, blah, blah, blah. And I really, like, really carried a lot of... um, shame and guilt for for feeling feelings and the more I've come to like love and respect myself the better it's been and like just the other night I had a guy scream at me and I I saw I saw my two paths I saw my old self saying you know what just tell him even if this is against like what you really want just tell him to come over and pick up the delivery and just be done with it and never use them again. But then my new self is like, no, sir, you are not going to talk to me this way. Right. You are not treating me this way. You are breaking the boundaries of the respect that I have for myself. And I told him, I cannot respect myself if I let you come now. Right. This isn't how I let people treat me. And my son can hear how you're screaming at me. So we're done here. And after the phone call, even though I was 
um, really worked up internally. And I recognized that I was like high-fiving myself yeah. because that's a huge, like that guy probably cursed me so many times. You established boundaries right up front. That's huge. Yeah. And me to be able to step up and go against the grain because I do want everyone to love me and accept me and approve of me to not need that from anyone really anymore is so huge. Yeah, it is. Which allows me to be more creative and fun. And this whole business I started has been completely like shocking because I just started moving in a way that I felt comfortable and having fun and it turned into a thing. Right. And again, turn the noise down and all the other inputs. What does Sarah want? What does Sarah want to do? And turning the volume up on that. Yeah, that, and then you're cooking with fire. Like, you're, you're really going. That's yeah. And it's been fun. I, just watching you has been fun. Yeah. I mean, it's been hard. It's been really hard because still in those moments of trying to figure out, do I want to open a store? Do I want to do it this yeah, way? Do those I are wanna... fun problems to have. It is. Yeah. But I still have all those external, okay, Steve's mad at me because we still have that right. dresser in our living room, yeah. and Steve's mad at me. And I make up all those stories because it stresses me out and I've got to get to the core and I'm still figuring out some of that stuff. That's perfect though. That's a great way to start to wrap this because this is what I wanted with something raw and real. You're moving in a powerful direction. You're firming things up, but you don't have it all sorted. That's real life, right? (laughs) That's, that's, that's what I want people to see. I want people to understand that this is a, I tell my clients all the time that we aren't doing a diet personality intensive, right? We are building new patterns, new conscious patterns, and, and new body patterns in a lot of, a lot of ways, right? We start, we start to move differently when we start to realize different things and think different ways. And you do that over, just like we learned this pattern by doing it over and over and over again during really formative years that deeply etched those neural pathways into right. us. We're undoing it or doing, or, or even sometimes like etching new patterns deeper because we're changing our behavior over time. And it looks like what you're describing. It's like such a perfect example because it doesn't just, it's not a switch that gets flipped. It's this slow shifting. And oftentimes you have to look back or have a coach tell you, hey, do you notice this, that you've done all this in this time? Or have a spouse that's cheering you on um, or have a journal you can read back through. It's like really important to notice Oh, I've been shifting my pattern. This has been happening. Yeah, and it's been cool. Steve and I um, made a pact that 2021, every month we go see this really cool counselor. Yeah. And she talks to us for a little bit, and then she does some, like, energy, NET, which is neuroemotional technique. And um, that's been a big part of some of that childhood trauma because she can pinpoint the year and the situation, and it's it's so phenomenal. And... Like, I cannot wait to tell her all these breakthroughs I've had since our last month together. And having someone in my corner to cheer me on, like you guys who are working with Steve, like, that's so good. Like, having someone that you um, invest in and make that time, like a friend is one thing, but like having a coach or a person is just a whole nother level because it's just, it's so powerful. And... I'm, I'm really glad that we're making this pack for this year and just yeah. seeing where all it's going to take us. And it's that accountability. That's yeah. Nice. And then sure. she's like, yeah. you know, and she reminds me like where we were just at last month. And I'm like, crud, we were only there. Like, gosh, I was like, Dr. Tracy, like we're already all the way over here. And yeah. she's like, what? And it's just so cool. So. Thanks for the commercial. The little ad in here. Yeah. You're welcome. I didn't have to pay for it. That's great. Um, for me, the, what I'm working on uh, right now is it's always presence. That's not, I haven't solved that one yet either, 100%. But I'm to the point where I know the tools that work for me and I'm building the discipline into my life that keeps me, keeps me on that, in that space. That keeps me in a space where I am conscious and aware, I know how I can keep my heart open, like I described earlier, and I really love having a whole nother sense-making apparatus that I can use along with my head. And then from kind of the macro level on the Enneagram, I really 
need, I really want to move into my body as well. I want to get this, one of my favorite Enneagram teachers, Russ Hudson says that none of us were made to be a third of a person. And if you look at the Enneagram from the top down, there's three triads. And so I'm already hyper involved with the head type. That's kind of what I was, what I did with my ego as it was first formed. I just had the, all these experiences that have stretched me into my heart. And now I want to do the same thing with my body and get my, my body sense making, my intuitive piece up to par and do equal sense make, sense making, sharing across those. That's like the challenge that I'm stepping into uh, right now, currently working on it. So it's good stuff. It's fun. It is fun. It's good stuff. It's hard. Hopefully we captured the difficulties inside of the relational dynamic here. People from two different, with two completely different lenses, different centers of intelligence. But you can also see the value of being able to stick through it with the proper perspective of I'm, this person's growing me and I'm growing this person. And can we hang in this pressure cooker to see what comes out the other side? And I'm, I'm sure glad we did. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so. you. You're my best friend. Yeah, girl. Love you. Love you too. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great time. (laughs) If you're interested in Enneagram coaching and my style resonates with you, feel free to reach out to me at mindfulenneagram.coach and you can click the Get in Touch button. To discover if there's a good fit, we'll have a call over Zoom that I call an Explorer session. It's just 15 to 30 minutes figuring out if where you want to go and my methodology will mesh. I also want to take a minute to give a shout out to Outside Golden, who's provided all the music for this podcast. Very much appreciated. And thank you for